Bible books in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, book by book, with author, pastor and Bible teacher Mike Beaumont, who's talking to David Tavner. We're looking at two books in the Old Testament, Mike, now, Jeremiah and Lamentations. Uh, What's the connection between them? The connection is that historically, Lamentations, which is actually anonymous, is believed to have been written by Jeremiah. It doesn't actually say that at the head of the book, but in the Greek translation of the Old Testament scriptures, the version that's known as the Septuagint, there's an introduction to Lamentations, which says, and so it was after Israel had been taken captive and Jerusalem laid waste that Jeremiah sat weeping and he sang this dirge over Jerusalem. And in Jeremiah itself, uh, Jeremiah says that I will raise a lament over Jerusalem for what's happened. So putting those together, uh, traditionally Lamentations has been seen as written by Jeremiah. It seems to fit well that we have to be honest and say, technically, uh, the book is anonymous. So Lamentations is a dirge. That doesn't sound very exciting. Well, at one level, it isn't, and it is a dirge, but there's some fantastic truths that we can still draw out of it, as we'll see in a moment. Well, let's look at Jeremiah and, and some context. It's always important to understand, you know, at what time Jeremiah is living and, and what's going on in the world. Yeah, exactly. In our previous episode, we were looking at the prophet Isaiah, whose context there was the Assyrian threat, though in one of his flash-forwards he looks forward to the nation of Babylon, who would take over from Assyria. Now, as we come to Jeremiah, we have moved on. Assyria has been conquered by Babylon, and Babylon is now the new kid on the block. Babylon is the great empire that will be the threat against Judah and Jerusalem. So Jeremiah is in Judah and has a message, what, for his people? Yeah, that's right. He he was born around about uh, 650 BC and he was called to be a prophet, well, we can work it out, in 626 BC because chapter 1 verse 2 tells us it was in the 13th year of Josiah. Now, Josiah was that king who had become a king at a very young age, very godly guy. He put his trust in God. And uh, at the start of his ministry, Jeremiah really is sort of encouraging. He gets right behind everything that Josiah does. But after his reign, other kings that follow him are far less godly. And it will be at that point that Jeremiah's ministry becomes one much more of confrontation of king and people. How did he become a prophet? Well, just like we saw with Isaiah, he was called to it. But there was a very different call. We're told about this in chapter 1. And we're simply told that the word of the Lord came to me. Now, he was not sort of a prophet from birth. In fact, he was due to be a priest. Uh, The opening words of the book are the words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests, hello, if he was a son of a priest, that meant that he would also have been a priest. So from a young age, his father would have been teaching him and training him in the ways of the law. And he would have expected by the time he reached 30 to have 
become a priest. But God gets him in his mid-twenties, redirects him and calls him to be a prophet with, with a powerful encounter. Uh, he calls him in chapter one, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. My goodness, I'm always staggered by that because here is God who had a sense of what he wanted Jeremiah to be even before Jeremiah was a twinkle in his parents' eye. God had a plan and a purpose for him to be a prophet. And Jeremiah responds, oh, Lord, I don't know how to speak, you know, which is sort of a pretty basic thing for a prophet, isn't it? I don't know how to speak. You know, I, I'm only a child. And God says to him, don't say to me, I'm a child. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I tell you. Don't be afraid of them. Ah, that's interesting, isn't it? You know, when God always says, don't be afraid in the scriptures, there's normally a reason for it. Clearly, he's welling up thinking, no, my goodness, I can't do this. God says, don't be afraid. See straight into his heart. I'm with you. I'll rescue you. And then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth. Isn't that interesting? In the previous episode, we saw how Isaiah had had to have his lips touched as well. Uh, God touches his lips and says, I've put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms. Ah, And here's the heart of what his ministry will be to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow. There's going to be a lot of challenging work here. Why? Because there was so much in Judah at this time that did need pulling down and destroying godless ways, but also, he says, to build and to plant. So there would be hope, too, out of this ministry. How did he process this personally? Was, was he just a channel for a message from God? Well, you know what? I think it's important that with all of the prophets, we never think of them as sort of loudspeakers, you know, with God on the microphone at the other end and God presses a button and they open their mouth and these words come out. These prophets throughout the, the Old Testament, God uses them, their character, their background, their training. So Ezekiel, for example, who'd been trained to be a priest, much of his prophetic words will come out in priestly imagery and temple imagery. Why? Because that's how he thought. Isaiah, well-trained, well-educated, beautiful, poetic language, seemed to have access to the royal courts very easily. So that's how his words come out. Jeremiah, uh, very different to all of them. And there seemed to have been, I mean, frankly, a lot of internal struggle at times. So I think for Jeremiah, it wasn't just a case of opening his mouth and giving it. This often sort of cost him. There would be a lot of, I think, inner processing of it. And just because someone's called to be a prophet, you know, we don't have to think they open their mouth and out it comes. Uh, it's almost as if God puts the thought increasingly in their heart and mind and presses it upon them until they can't help but then uh, speak it out into the particular context. But, uh, yeah, there's there's clearly a lot of turmoil and, and at times anguish uh, goes on within him to bring these words from God. So Jeremiah really took this 
personally. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I don't think we should see Jeremiah or any of these prophets as clinical, cold, declaring judgment that is coming. This costume is often called um, the weeping prophet. This came deep from his... He cared about his people. And actually, it was because he cared that he took it so personally, that, that it cost him this pain and that he has these sort of inner turmoils and the, the laments over Jerusalem when everything goes exactly as he said it would. You know, the point about lamentations is he doesn't sit there and say, well, there you are, you see, I was right, wasn't I? I mean, his heart breaks and weeps because he was right. So never think of Jeremiah or any of the prophets as cold, harsh, uncaring the reason they prophesied is because they both loved God and loved his people. And it was trying to bring those together that at times, you know, did cost them. In, in fact, at the end of chapter one, uh, in the call to Jeremiah, God says to him, you know, you're going to have to get ready, stand up, say whatever I command you again. Don't be afraid of them. But he says this bit, today I've made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall to stand against the whole land. In other words, you know, this is going to be tough. Stuff is going to come against you and you're going to need to be able to stand against this. But when they come against you, and they would, uh, I mean, Jeremiah would have many sufferings that he would experience through this letter. I mean, we, we, we come across all sorts of stuff and yet God helped him. What was some of that stuff that he actually experienced as he you know, seeks to fulfill this call uh, from God uh, when people don't listen? Well, you know, here's, here's a little list in chapter 11 and 18. Uh, people plot to destroy him and even kill him. In chapter 20, he's beaten and then put in the stocks and he faces constant derision from people, even in that chapter, from people who'd been his trusted friends. In chapter 26, he's seized by fellow prophets and priests who disagreed with his message uh, and they make plans to kill him. In, in chapter 36, the king, King Jehoiakim, actually listens to his prophecies being read to him from the scroll and cuts them off with a knife and throws them into the fire. That's how much. The king values them. In chapter 37, he's shut up in the king's prison. In chapter 38, he's, he's lowered into an empty, muddy cistern and left there until eventually he's brought out of that and, and kept in the courtyard under arrest and, until Jerusalem is captured. And by chapter 43, he, he's actually taken away to Egypt after the conquest of Jerusalem against his will. So... It's not a career choice. Oh, my goodness. I wouldn't have chosen it. That's one thing for sure. I mean, this guy went through tough stuff. So little wonder he feels deeply. This cost him. This cost him. And do you know what? Very often doing what God has called us to do will cost us still today. Uh, it's not just a case of, oh, God's called me to do this. Now everything will be straightforward. Uh, God called me to be a, a pastor 50 years ago. And, uh, you know, it's not always been smooth sailing since then. There have been times of incredible challenge in my 
personal life, my family life, my ministry life, been threats on my life, literally. There have been all sorts of things. So responding to the call of God, frankly, that's the easy bit. (laughs) Saying yes is the easy bit, but it's them walking in it. But here's the great thing about Jeremiah. Through the pain of this book, and I'd encourage readers as they read this book, feel his pain. It's not a self-pitying pain. You know, Jeremiah, it's not really a pity party. Even Lamentations is not a pity party. He's feeling the pain because God's people have drifted so far from God and won't come back to him. And he sees what's going to happen if they don't. So, you know, responding to the call of God can and will be costly at times, Jeremiah shows us. It would be helpful if you could just give me a kind of overview, a sort of sense of the sweep of the whole book. Do you know what? Jeremiah is not one of the easiest books to categorise. In fact, it's quite bitty in parts is the honest truth, though when you start to dig into it, there, there is something of a flow to it in Chapter one is is called chapters two to thirty eight uh, are records of Jeremiah delivering sort of message after message to God's people, warning them to repent. That's like a big overview. You know, there's micro detail. And within that, it's interesting. He calls them again and again to consider different aspects of their life. Think back to the Exodus and what God did for you there. Think about the temple and what this is supposed to be. Think about the covenant that God's made with you. Think about prayer. Think about God's sovereignty and and how he's always in control. Think about your rulers and how they're supposed to have responsibilities to care for God's people. Think about the prophets and how they're called to bring true words from God. But through all of that, the challenge that Judgment is coming upon God's people because they have failed to both put him first and to express that in the way that they deal with one another. So that's sort of chapters 2 to 38, warnings of judgment coming because of how they have related to God and one another, but with constant reminders to think about, think about, think about this. Then uh, sort of, Chapters uh, 40 to 43, Jeremiah is set free from his imprisonment by the Babylonians when they conquer Jerusalem and will ultimately destroy it. And he'll then go on speaking to the people that are left in the land after the fall of Jerusalem and after some have been exiled. Uh, He's been left behind by Babylon. Actually, uh, they think that he's been sort of really on their side because one of the things that he's been saying, you'll see as you read through this book, is judgment is coming through Babylon. So actually the best thing you can do is yield to that judgment now. And they keep saying, no, 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 judgment's not coming. God will protect us. This is Jerusalem. We've got the temple. God will protect us. And he says, no, judgment is coming through Babylon. Yield to it. Of course, they don't. They resist and they're conquered and so when that happens, chapters 40 to 43, he, he's allowed to stay in Jerusalem because the Babylonians think he's really been helping them. And he then in those chapters uh, challenges the people who are left in the land 
to stay there, to go through the process, not to flee to Egypt, as some of them were wanting to do. But they reject his advice and actually head for Egypt and take him with them. He, he doesn't want to go. He wants to stay there. And presumably he dies there in Egypt. And then in 46 to 51, we find him prophesying against the whole nations around saying that judgment is coming there too. So there's sort of three broad sections. What kind of God is Jeremiah describing? An angry God? I think we could probably sum it up as a, as a righteous God. A God who does what is right and who has the right to do what is right. There's this chapter in chapter 18 where God tells him to go down to the potter's house and he sees the potter working the clay and making a pot and it gets air in it. So, you know, like they still do today on the potter's wheel, they then push the clay down and reshape it again. And God speaks to him through that saying, as your sovereign God, do I not have the right to do whatever I like with my people? And the answer is yes, because you are God. And yet that needn't be a fearful thing because this God who has the right to do whatever he likes is a God who always does what is right. He is a righteous God. And the reason that he is coming with judgment and coming with judgment against his own people is not because he got out of bed on the wrong side that day, and do remember, by the way, that was a background in pagan cultures where literally, you know, if the god woke up with a bad head because he'd been drinking too much the night before, true story from some of the Babylonian religions, <laughs> they would quite likely send a thunderbolt your way, you know, if you were shouting too much in the morning and they got a thick head and you'd disturb them. <laughs> the god of the Bible and the god of Jeremiah is not like that. He is a righteous God, a holy God who always does what is right. And in bringing judgment to his people, it's simply because they weren't living out the covenant that they had entered with him, the covenant that went way back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the covenant that took shape through the giving of the law through Moses at Mount Sinai. And there God had said, in Exodus 19, I'll take you to be my people. I'll make you my chosen people, my royal priesthood, a holy nation. And from chapter 20 onwards in Exodus, therefore, therefore live like this. Not live like this in order to become my people. Because I've made you my people, because of that immense privilege, live like this, both towards me and towards one another. Again, a, a vertical and a horizontal dimension. And it's because God's people were consistently failing to do that, both in terms of the idolatry that they were wanting to bring in alongside God. Never wanted to reject God, of course. He's always got plus something else. And the way they were failing to care for one another, and particularly comes out through pretty much all of the prophets, Failing to care for the poor. God has a huge heart for the poor and the needy and the widow and those who had no 
resources. And, you know, if, if we don't find a big heart for people like that in our own heart, then we've not got the heart of the God of the Bible. So he he's angry, but angry with cause. He's angry because despite having given every opportunity and advantage to his people, both in the way they were living towards him and the way they were living towards others was just uncaring and selfish and self-centered and self-righteous, really. There's a a whole chapter where uh, he challenges them not to rely on the temple. You know, they were absolutely convinced. He's saying to them, unless we change God's judgment, God's refining, purposeful judgment is going to come against us just like it came against Israel, the northern tribes. Now, remember, once Assyria had been conquered by Babylon, Israel in the north that had been part of the Assyrian Empire was now part of the Babylonian Empire. So Babylon was only 20 miles away from Jerusalem. And he's saying, judgment will come on us unless we change. Look, look what happened in the north. And his fellow Judeans were saying, no, 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 we've got the temple. Look, this is the holy house of God. God won't come against us. And so in chapter 7, he challenges them, you know, don't trust in deceptive words saying this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And he goes on to say, if you, if you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you don't oppress the alien, the fatherless and the widow and don't shed innocent blood in this place, and if you don't follow other gods to your own harm, then I'll let you live in this place and in this land. But actually the words you're saying are hollow and deceptive. So judgment will be coming because I am a God who has the right to do as he pleases but who also always does what is right. And when you live like that, then what is right is that my chastising judgment comes upon you. So where does the, the book of Lamentations then fit in? It fits in after all that Jeremiah prophesied had actually happened. So, he had said that if we don't respond to God and change, God will bring his judgment upon us, his wrath upon us through the nation of Babylon. An exile will come. And actually, it will last for 70 years, he prophesies in chapter 25. And hey, guess what? It was exactly 70 years from the very first exile to the day when Judah would come out of its exile. But of course, what about that 70 years? That is a long time for people to reflect on what had happened. A whole generation. Exactly. And it's like God's letting that whole generation die out uh, and a new generation who would be born in exile, who would eventually come back. But as Jeremiah looks at what has happened. He he writes these laments. Now, it seems like these laments were either written in that short period when he was allowed to stay in Jerusalem by the Babylonians after the bulk of the people had been exiled to Babylon, or 
when he was taken against his will down to Egypt. And, and there are these uh, four chapters of laments, uh, but not a sense of, you see, there you are, I told you, told you, I was right, wasn't I? Not a hint of that. His heart aches over what had happened uh, to his beautiful city and his, his beautiful temple. And so in Lamentations, which are basically five poems lamenting the capture and the destruction of Jerusalem. Beautifully written, by the way. Uh, the five poems, four of them have 22 verses each, and the fifth one has 22 times three, 66 verses in it. So really carefully crafted. This is not just stream of consciousness writing. This was careful reflection as he reflects and he sort of alternates between comments on Jerusalem, speaking as the city itself, and then responding and offering words of hope and, and using quite graphic imagery. In, in chapter one, he describes Jerusalem as a, as a desolate widow who's sitting alone, left alone in the night, crying over her children. So he uses quite powerful imagery to express his deep, deep pain at that what he said would happen had happened and it needn't have happened if only God's people had responded. You said before that Jeremiah was a weeping prophet, somebody who took it to heart. So that, that comes out very strongly in this collection of five poems. Yeah, absolutely. Through this imagery that he uses in, in, in chapter three in particular, he reflects sort of on his own misery there and, and he really identifies with his people. You know, he takes their sorrows as if they were his own. And really they weren't, you know, because he was the one who'd responded to God. And yet, in spite of all his suffering, he's convinced that, that God could still be trusted. And in uh, Lamentations chapter 3, there is one of my most favourite verses in, in the whole of the Bible. It's one that I learned as a young Christian. I don't know how I came across it because Lamentations is a pretty obscure book, but I came across it and I tell you this verse has taken me through things again and again. And there in the midst of his lamenting and identifying with God's people in a really graphic way in chapter three, he says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. And it was those words that I learned because of the Lord's great love. We are not consumed. His compassions never fail. What? Even in the midst of everything that's gone wrong? Yeah. Even in the midst of everything that has gone wrong, his mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And those words 
took Jeremiah through these painful laments as he looked back and, and saw that all that he had said had come true. And for me, these are still resounding words of Jeremiah that can still take us through when we are facing tough times, frankly, even times that were our own doing. Because these were, I mean, the only reason that Jerusalem and Judah ended up in this trouble was because he wouldn't listen to God. And Jeremiah could have easily said, there you are, told you so. But no, in his heart, there's just pain and lament that they wouldn't listen. And that this is what they had to go through. But this he knew, that God was still faithful and that God still had a plan. And that after the 70 years that he prophesied, God would turn things round. And we know from history, of course, that's exactly what he did. Why? Because great is your faithfulness. So despite facing the worst of times, he had a sense of perspective about them. Yeah, and I, I think it must have come out of that first encounter with God, that God had called him to this task, that God had given him a work to do. God had warned him how hard it would be and how he wouldn't always be received. But yeah, he was a prophet who could keep perspective. I think he had to fight for that at times, by the way. You know, he's, he's not a prophet who said, yes, I know the Lord is always in control. Read the book, for goodness sake. He, he has to grapple with this, as we still often have to do today. And certainly in Lamentations, you know, there's an encouragement there to be honest with God. Pour out the stuff to God, how you were feeling. But he was a prophet who had kept a perspective because he'd seen God. He knew God. And I think once we've done that, once we've had an encounter with God, then we know that whatever happens, we can keep perspective even through the tough times, even when we have to pour out our hearts to him, even when things don't work out as we had hoped they would. Why? Because your mercies are new every morning, Lord. And truly, even when things look bad, great is your faithfulness. Mike Bowman has been talking to David Taverner. Listen to more episodes anytime. Bible books in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, book by book, from Genesis to Revelation. This is a United Christian Broadcasters production. For more about UCB, check out the website at ucb.co.uk.